Podcasting, The Final Frontier. This is the Hammer Podcast. It's 30-minute mission to rehash geeky topics, to seek out new bastions of nerdiness, to timidly go where the more talented have gone before. Greetings, and welcome to the Hammer Podcast, the official podcast of thehammerstrikes.com. I'm your host, Gene Hendricks, and this time out we have part two of my conversation with Michael Bailey regarding Superman and Batman Generations. So, I'm not going to do a whole lot of preamble here, we're just going to take a quick promotional break for one of Mike's shows, and then we'll join our conversation already in progress, and we're going to go for issues three and four and wrap up the series. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Mike. I'm trailing. Man, it sure is great to be back to FCTC after such a long time. Yes, it is, and we've been away so long. Yeah, but real life... You know what? I just just can't do this. Can't do what? We have taken more breaks from this show than my wife has had in her entire life. I mean, we can talk about real life getting in the way. Which it has. But it's, it's just not fair. So we're not going to joke around, and we're going to simply say that for the moment, we're back, and there's a lot of neat stuff to talk about. Like Season 2 of Lois and Clark. And the death of Clark Kent. And the launch of Superman the Man of Tomorrow. And the return of Lex Luthor. And the trial of Superman. And Underworld Unleashed. <laughs> the show can still be found at the Superman homepage, as well as at the Fortress of Baileytude. And we're still part of the Superman Podcast Network. So From Crisis to Crisis is back. For now. And it will still come out on Thursdays. Most week at www.fortressofbailey2.com, www.supermanhomepage.com, or www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. The Lois getting her diagnosed is pretty powerful as well. Yeah, this, this whole year is just full of shots to the gut, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, and everything gets cheerful in 1979. <laughs> <laughs> well, there is a wedding, and why don't we get to 1979? All right. This will uh, tell you a lot, because it's called 1979, Twilight of the Gods. We start with, and I love the way they do this, but it's the uh, the engagement announcement in the newspaper, but it's because it's newspaper, there are you know crinkles in it, so you mm-hmm. can't see who Bruce Wayne's mother is. <laughs> Perfect. I love it. And I've act, I read some of these other ones, and it's just, you know, it's generic people. You know, it's it's like he almost grabbed it from a newspaper and said, oh, okay, well, these people are going to be in, in the comic now. It's, and run, you know, some of them run off the page, but you can make out what's going on. And I'm wondering if these are people burn nose. I, I wondered that myself, especially the, the two right below uh, Kara and Bruce, because it's... Uh, they're they're specific people. It's not like this. These aren't generic pictures. It looks like he was drawing people he knew. So it it would be interesting to look into that. I mean, why would I do research for the show? <laughs> now the person reading the newspaper is Lois Lane. Now she's in a hospital room, hooked up to oxygen, and Clark is with her, and they're both old because I mean it's 1979. It's 50 years after you know they first met it's 40 years after we first saw him 
So, you know, they're talking about how pleased they are and etc. And in walks Dr. Holert. I'm going to pronounce it that way. And he's the specialist that was recommended to them. And you know, Clark says, okay, well, I'll leave you two alone. And he goes back to the Daily Planet. He changes to Superman and flies so fast that he burns off his makeup. Because it wouldn't do for people to see Superman looking his age. Superman looks just like he did way back when. So he gets to the Daily Planet, flies into a storeroom, reapplies the makeup. And then we cut to outer space, where Supergirl is fighting alongside Batman inside Brainiac's ship. And we have a great image of Brainiac, the green-skinned Brainiac, mm-hmm. going through his transformation into the fully robotic Brainiac. And, oh boy. <laughs> so, Batman has apparently messed with Brainiac's stuff. So, they fly out, and Supergirl starts to push Brainiac's ship away from the Earth. So she throws it past the moon, and it starts to implode into a black hole. Well, the gravity catches Batman's spaceship, and Supergirl goes and grabs it, pulls it away, and then there is a lovely light show of an explosion, which everyone on Earth sees, including Clark Kent and Jimmy Olsen in the Daily Planet. And Jimmy is just basically given his six weeks notice because he wants to retire. And we're talking about... a Mostly bald, gray-haired, old Jimmy Olsen, which is something that you would never expect to see in any comic ever. So Clark accepts and just realizes that this is the ending of an era, but luckily they are looking forward to the bright, shiny beginning of the wedding. We cut to the Himalayas, and no, I'm not doing John Ratzenberger, where Bruce Wayne, the original, is climbing up to... A mountain retreat, and before he gets to this door built into the side of the mountain, he collapses. He wakes up, hands bound behind him, sitting in a chair, and Rachel Ghoul and Talia, along with Ubu, are sitting in there, and rather than detective, Rache calls him adversary. And they explain, you know, what's going on, and that they Rache wanted Bruce to take over as his heir. And they were coming into conflict, etc. And now he's introduced to the Lazarus Pit. More on that later. We cut back to Gotham City, where Bruce Jr. is talking to Clark and saying that, yeah, we don't know where Dad is. We may just show up in time for the wedding. As Bruce puts the phone down, his mother shows up. We see his mother from the back. She is gray-haired, still in decent shape, and wearing a hat. He gives her a hug, and then she walks in, oh, I have something for your bride-to-be. At this moment, Supergirl swoops down, takes off her wig, and in a much less graphic way than a certain Dark Knight book, (laughs) sweeps Bruce up into the sky, and then Bruce's mother comes out and is hit with a Supergirl costume in the head. And she realizes exactly what's going on, and hopefully no one has a telescope in there. We cut to a man in green superpowers Lex Luthor armor with a helmet. And he's talking to Mei-Lai. Would you pronounce that? Yeah, that's probably how I pronounce it. I apologize to all of my Asian listeners. And she is telling him that, you know, you really don't have to do this. He says, no, I have to. I have to take care of the object of my hatred. And he flies off. At Wayne Manor, stately Wayne Manor, hope of home of Bruce Jr., we have the wedding going on where Bruce is telling the 
the Reverend, oh, don't, calm down, you know, the, the filthy rich are nothing, you know, no different than you or I. And the Reverend says, uh, perhaps I need to remind you, you are very rich. <laughs> so we have Karen Clark coming down the aisle, and she is in a very, very nice wedding gown. And then we cut to the after the ceremony. Vale is gone. She's hugging Lois. Clark is congratulating him, and the doctor comes over, thanking him for the invite. At this moment, the armored man shoots Clark with a kryptonite beam. Kara, in front of everybody, changes to Supergirl, and she is knocked back by a force field. The man flies off after her, and Jimmy tries to help Clark, who, but he can't because he runs into a force field. Turns out that Lois Clark and the Doctor are inside this field. The Doctor changes, turns his uh, holographic projector, I assume, off, and is Lex Luthor. Clark is still weak from the blast of kryptonite. Luthor goes over and snaps Lois's neck. Clark calls him an animal, a monster, and swears that he will kill him as Luthor teleports away. The Armored Man finds Supergirl in the middle of the crater where she landed, and strips the armor off in a very interesting way, and it turns out it's Joel, dressed as Lex Luthor from in the purple and green outfit, and he has superpowers. He explains that his men shot him in the back and left him for dead, but he was found by Malai, and she nursed him back to health. Eventually, he contacted Luthor, who brought him back to the U.S. They go through a vicious fight, ending in one of the most heart-wrenching full pages I've ever seen in comics, where Joel punches his fist through Kara's chest. At this point, he flies off, Batman finds her, her wig falls off because there's nothing to keep it on anymore, and he is completely distraught. Joel flies back to Luthor, and he's not feeling so good, and Luthor explains, no, 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 that, that, when your father said... He couldn't give you a, any formula to regain your powers that wouldn't kill you. Just tell him the truth, because this is killing you. And he ends, the last thing Joel hears is, Your father has never lied to you, while I, on the other hand, have always lied. At this moment, Superman crashes through the wall, cradles his dead son, and realizes that Luthor has been a projection all along, and he can't get his hands on him. Malai comes out with... Superman's grandson, who, like Joel, has no superpowers. Superman is completely distraught. He heard everything. Batman shows up and says, no, I will adopt this child. He will never know that he's Superman's son. And perhaps they can build a true union between their families and hope for a better tomorrow. Holy crap. Yeah, it's, it's uh, you know, Byrne said, has said that, you know, the stories were supposed to kind of match the tone of the eras i don't think things were quite this dark in 1979 uh but you know because of how these characters are aging you kind of have to have it happen in 79 as opposed to 89 right uh so you know it's 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 all kind of fun in the beginning i mean you get you get old clark kent you get old jimmy olsen uh you get super supergirl and batman teaming up in a fun adventure uh we get to see more of uh we get to see rachel ghoul yeah and Talia. How is she dressed like that in that weather? That's why I want to know. Uh, it's warm inside the mountain. Apparently. Uh, we get a fun little thing where, you know, Supergirl shows up and drops her costume on her future mother-in-law. Which, <laughs> you know, 
and then things kind of go pear-shaped. I love the fact that the symbol on Joel's armor is the S symbol upside down. Yes. Uh, it's not subtle, but it is subtle, if that makes any sense. Well, uh, yeah, it's because, I mean, Luthor's symbol was an inverted trapezoid mm-hmm. on that armor. It's just Burn took the extra step and took that the geometric shape out and put the S symbol in. But he, but he does two things in this story that are reminiscent of other stories uh, of, of the 70s and 80s in terms of representing how things are going dark. He snaps Lois's neck. Now, I don't know if this is, or Byrne doesn't, Lex Luthor does. Right. Uh, now, I don't know if this is on purpose, but that snap reminds me of the snap when Gwen Stacy died. Yeah. Uh, and the way Joel kills Kara is exactly how Bullseye killed Elektra. Mm-hmm. And I gotta think that's on purpose. Right. I, um, I, I, It has to be. It's not... He planned this out in such a way that I don't think he did any of these, especially the more powerful scenes, by accident. The, um... On an artistic level, everything is on point. I love Kara's costume. Oh, yeah. She's wearing heels, but she's also invulnerable, so... The thing that drives my wife crazy uh, doesn't apply in her case. She hates it when she sees action women wearing heels. Well, I don't think in any of these, I don't think the heels ever actually touch the floor. No, nope. she's, she's always flying, so it doesn't really matter. Uh, but it's it's like really heart wrenching. It's a uh, and you know this is the third issue, so and it's the first uh, story in the third issue. That's a really powerful way to start uh, to, to to start this issue, but also to continue the story. I have problems with Bruce Jr. coming in and taking the kid at the end. Yeah. Um, but it kind of makes sense in terms of how the story plays out, so I can't really fault it. The only thing I can think is that he knew that Superman was not going to ever have any time for this child. Mm-hmm. You know, because as we'll find out in a little bit, Superman goes on a 10-year manhunt for Lex Luthor. Yeah, he doesn't have a whole lot of time for kids. Yeah. And, I mean, if, if anyone's going to raise him, might as well be the, the wealthy guy that you already know, who already knows your secret. Well, everyone knows his secret now. But but let's see where we are at this point. Joel yeah. is dead. Kara is dead. Lois is dead. Bruce is thought to be dead. Right. There's still Bruce Jr.'s mother, but Dick Grayson's dead. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is this is horribly depressing, and yet I, I while I feel sadness, I I never feel like the story is taking a gratuitous turn. No, no, it doesn't. He's not doing this just to do it. It is all in service to the story that he's telling. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right, shall we jump ahead ten years? Yep. <clears throat> All right, 1989, Crime and Punishment. We open with a, a full-page uh, full page splash of Superman electrocuting Lex Luthor. And this is being played for President Harold Jordan as his advisors basically tell him, well, listen, we got to do something about this. Superman is a killer. So Jordan goes through all the procedures to go get the chunk of kryptonite that Superman gave Richard Nixon, because if you can't trust the President of the United States, who can you trust? But it is gone! It has been stolen by Batman, and I really would like an explanation how. But Batman is... he's Batman! (laughs) And this is 
This is that Batman, yeah. And he is... We switch to the new flying wing Batplane going towards the Arctic. We see the super key to Fort Superman. And Batman drops out of the plane, which I guess is on hover mode, and flies into the Fortress of Solitude. And much like Batman did in that original story, he starts melting things and basically... You know, trying to get Superman's attention. When he gets to the Supergirl statue, he takes off his mask, and that's when Superman punches him in the face. They have a bit of uh, fisticuffs going back and forth until Batman realizes Superman is actually hurt. And this is when we get our flashback to Superman busting into Luthor's tower, which is off on a mountainside somewhere. I don't think they actually ever say where it is. Luthor's in a wheelchair, and... He's showing Superman how Jimmy Olsen has just been killed. His wife Lucy has just been killed. Their son Clark and his wife and children were driven off a cliff and killed. And Mayor Peregrine White Jr. has been killed. Superman realizes that these aren't simulations. This actually happened. Lifts Luthor out of the wheelchair by one arm and then immediately lets him go because he almost dislocated his shoulder. Luthor has gold kryptonite cufflinks. When Superman realizes this, and that Luther can walk, there is a little backstory to be filled in. Turns out that this is not Lex Luthor. This is actually the Ultra-Humanite. Back in 1939, after the explosion, Ultra's robots found him and the body, brain-dead body, of Luthor, and they swapped the brains, but it didn't work properly, and the brain could not be removed again. However... Ultra has plans, and he has Superman in an energy cage, and he's going to swap his mind with Superman's. Realizing that he can't let Ultra, Luthor, whoever win, Superman flips up a piece of metal that was busted when he came through the wall and throws it at the console. He electrocutes Ultra, but he didn't intend to. He just wanted to pin his arm to the console until he could escape. When everything, all the power went down, Superman got out of there, and came to the fortress. However, he realizes what he has to do, and he goes to the world court and pleads guilty. He realizes that it may have been self-defense in the actual action, but he had spent ten years hunting the man. So, Batman pulls out the Phantom Zone projector, and Superman disappears for ten years. Well, if you thought the last chapter was dark, <laughs> let's kill the rest of Superman's uh, supporting cast. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, however, it's very fitting with how the story is being told. Right. Uh, one of the things about Generations that we talked about earlier that is that is perfect is that it is a story of how these stories evolve. And at some point, you have to you have to imagine that things would go dark for these characters. You know. It, it would be great for them to have a happily ever after, mm-hmm. but you know if you're gonna if you're gonna comment on the time period uh, that you're telling these stories in, then '89, you know that's that's a pretty good time to start you know killing off supporting cast. Yes. Uh, you know you know by this point we've had the death of Jason Todd, we've had the crippling of Barbara Gordon, uh, we've had you know Superman taking the lives of the Kryptonian villains in 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 the main books. Uh, which is kind of funny because now Byrne is commenting on time periods that he was extant as a creator. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I like this chapter 
and I liked Superman taking responsibility for his actions. And I like the fact he has this great line when he's on trial that I think sums up kind of my feelings on the subject. Years ago, I swore an oath against killing, and for most of my life, I've honored that oath above all others. And what that says to me is he has taken lives, but unlike the Silver and Bronze Age version that would quit if that happened, you know, he's just tried to soldier on. Right. And 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 I'm not trying to get into the whole debate because, you know, I think I think we argued enough about that in 2013 and 2014 and 2015 and I'm sure it's going to come up again in about a month. You think? Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, for for my money, that is a more reasonable approach to it mm-hmm. because it's 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 not saying, "Oh, he kills and that's awesome." But it's also not saying, well, if I kill, I'm going to expose myself to gold kryptonite, and uh, sorry, next time Darkseid rolls up. (laughs) So, but I like that he can't say, was it cold-blooded murder? Because of everything that happened to him. Mm -hmm. And I love it. It's such a deep characterization for Superman, who, in everything he's ever done, accepts the responsibility of his actions. And so him allowing himself to be, uh, well, he's old kryptonited, so it's not really going to work, but him allowing himself to be taken into custody and to be tried in the world court uh, is just, it's such an amazing part of the story. I love the tweaks to the costume. The black border around the S is really subtle. This is more, build-wise, this is more of the burned Superman I'm used to. Mm Mm-hmm. But the best twist is Lex Luthor's the Ultra Humanite. Yeah, it's wonderful because you you get the the old. He looks like the the Lex from the Burn era of Superman, the overweight, black suited, mm-hmm. older Lex Luthor. But he's also Superman's original foe, all in one package, and it's 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 wonderful. And I like how in Generations Two, in the 1942 episode. Ultra's wearing a mask at mm-hmm. that point, and he s- says, look into my eyes, and that's when Superman realized, well, the Ultra Human is still alive, back in 1942, but then he never sees him again, he just sees Luthor. Then, at this point, you get uh, pretty much the exact same reaction, you know, look deep into my eyes, and that's when Superman realizes, holy crap, this is the Ultra Humanite. Yeah, the, um, uh, the one bit of changing continuity, I guess you could say... Mm that I love in this is that the kryptonite radiation now kills humans. Well, uh, they they said specifically in this that it was pumped up. Uh, th- there's enough kryptonite radiation being generated to even kill even a human being. But uh, I, I, I like, th- I get that, but yeah. also it's uh, yeah, Burns commenting on his own take on kryptonite. Uh, I also like how the capsule that the kryptonite was supposed to be in looks like the Eradicator. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's 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 a little Matrix, and 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 we have President Harold Jordan. Yep. Uh, who you know you know just I I I like that Hal gets an appearance. I know that Byrne loves this character, mm-hmm. so making him president, and then eventually what happens to him in generation uh, generations two, uh, you know he, he kind of gets to have his cake and eat it too, really. Right. The um, the fortress is great. We get we get Jarrell and Lara in like their Silver Age, but they're colored like the Earth Two Superman. Uh, Jarrell and Lara. It's kind of a nice little like mix of the two. Yeah, because you would have to think that he would want to honor as many versions as possible just in mm-hmm. one image. 
But no, this, you know, as dark as this chapter is, it's also this great character piece on both Bruce Jr. and Superman. Mm -hmm. You know, he, you know, he's in his kind of armored outfit and, you know, coming to bring Superman in. So it's a little Dark Knight Return-ish. And they fight, which is a little more Dark Knight Return-ish. But not in this one, he doesn't cheat and fight a Superman, a weakened Superman, uh, with uh, Ollie Queen in the in, in, in the in the in the background with a Kryptonite arrow. Right. Uh, so it's just it's sad, but it sets up the finale beautifully. Oh, it does. Yeah, and I like how Batman is the one he feels that it's his responsibility to bring in Superman. Because their families have known each other so long. His father is this man's best friend. He can't leave it to other people. He has to bring him in. And there's also a nice bit that the president wouldn't give him the kryptonite because of his present reputation. This is the Batman that is now putting people into the hospital when he fights them, rather than just capturing them as the duly deputized member of the law enforcement. Mm-hmm. So it's a ni nice reflection there, and it's you know, yes, it's not the '90s yet, but he is more or less the the Jean-Paul Valley Batman <laughs> with the the armored form and the fully covered face and everything. I I really like older Superman too. Yes, just as I said before, I like the the little tweaks in the costume, but this really in the entire series, and it's probably very much on purpose since it's 1989. It is so much closer to the way Byrne drew Superman when he handled him on a regular basis, whereas later he would draw him a little thinner, mm -hmm. uh, not as bulky. I, I liked that kind of linebacker. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of Clark Kent as football player, but I don't hate it either. So I liked that he was kind of built like that. Yeah. And I didn't mention it in 79, but Superman now has the longer cape. Mm-hmm. So we have we have the burn era costume more or less, except for the black border around the S, which is a lot more subtle than replacing the yellow with black as they <laughs> did after our worlds at war. For a year, yeah. I have the T-shirt. <laughs> well, shall we move on to the nineties? The last issue. Last issue. We're in now nineteen ninety nine, and you know the moon is now blasted out of orbit. Oh wait, sorry, wrong universe. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's okay, because the Earth was ravaged by a nuclear war in 1987. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, and then again in 1997. Hmm. So, and, and don't forget that a comet passed between the Earth and the Moon in 1994. Yeah, th there's that, too. <laughs> I always loved that when I was watching Thunder as a kid, because I knew enough math to realize, oh, great, the Earth's going to die when I graduate high school. <laughs> Anyway, on to the issue. We open with Demon's Head welcoming Batman. He is sitting in his throne next to Talia. Batman, still in his armored form, is has his hands tied behind his back. And he is being taken on a tour, and we go to the Lazarus Pit again. Then we go into a very nicely staged flashback in the next panel of Raish and Bruce basically talking over, you know, what would you give to get rid of me? And it turns out that Raish has figured the Lazarus Pit, if two willing subjects go in, one of them will die and the other one will become immortal. Bruce has a choice of either go into the Lazarus Pit or be killed by Raish's men, so he decides, what the hell? 
As they get lowered in, apparently there is a huge amount of pain, and Raish tries to get out. Bruce, on the other hand, grabs him and holds him in the pit. The platform is lowered, and there is a bit of a mess going on as the Lazarus Pit chemicals jump out of the container. Talia raises the platform, and there's only one figure there. That is the figure of a rejuvenated Bruce Wayne. The demon's head takes off his mask and shows that it is, in fact, Bruce Wayne. And Bruce Jr. takes off his mask, and there is a father-son reunion now where the son looks older than the father. Bruce explains that, yes, 20 years ago, he did take over a vast criminal network. But he has slowly been tweaking it to the point where what looked like a front of moving food and medicine and relief supplies around the world is now the entire operation. He wants Bruce Jr. to take over because he only has one wish. He wants to be Batman again. And we go to a page of a gray and black bat suit with a smiling Bruce Wayne swinging through Gotham City. He does all the standard bat rope tricks, comes across a mugger, and tells a man, yeah, I did leave Gotham for a while, but you can, tell, you can be the first to tell everyone the, the Batman is back on the beat. And he realizes, oh yeah, it has been that long. Yeah, let me go and get Superman out of the Phantom Zone. So Superman comes back, realizes that his friend is now back as Batman, and in comes Nightwing, which has a K in the beginning. This is little Clark Kent, grown up. And he was Robin and is now his own man as Nightwing. Clark spills the beans that this is in fact his grandson, and they all fly off to Luthor's Citadel, which has been trapped in Green Lantern energy. The new Green Lantern, Kyle Rayner, comes in in a very odd costume, in my opinion, but we'll get back to that. He opens the, the Citadel, and they find the laboratory, because Clark has realized, after ten years, that Ultra wanted not only his body, but his powers, so he must have had a way to reverse the gold kryptonite effects. So they go down to the laboratory, Clark drinks whatever purple stuff's in the vial, which must be what's in the, the fridge with the Sunny D and other things, and lifts a huge computer console. He realizes, well, now that I have my microscopic vision back, I can get the atomic structure, and oh, look, here you go, uh, Nightwing, you can now have one quarter of my power if you want. Clark Jr., I'll say, wants to think it over, and one month later, we realize it didn't take him that long because he is now flying. This is the point where Superman says, listen, everything that I have had on this Earth is gone. I am going out into the galaxy to solve problems out there. So, we learn that uh, apparently one quarter Kryptonian, you can use your telescopic vision to see 100 light years away. Because <laughs> that's what Nightwing, where he sees Superman flying, and they know Superman will be back someday because if he did any less, he wouldn't really be Superman. I love the splash page at the end of this with a grinning Superman flying out into the galaxy. It's lovely. And then, and then sings, I hope to go back there someday from the Muppet movie. <laughs> I love it. I love how he de-ages Bruce mm -hmm. uh, with Rachel Ghoul. Uh, I love that apparently Bruce and Talia 
kind of seemed to be a thing. Yeah. Um, I like how all he wants to do is get back into costume. One of the first experiences I ever had with John Byrne artwork was, this was before I was really even collecting comics. Uh, my family and I had been like away for the weekend. We stopped by the mall on the way home and I got a copy of legends number five and oh, wow. burn. It was one of those kind of key moments for me in, in how I like look at Batman and comics mm-hmm. is because even though Batman was wearing the blue and gray outfit, there was a lot of shadows in the scenes that he was in. So it looked black and gray. And it was the first time I ever saw that and went, wow, that looks so much better. Um, so I like that we kind of get that. I mean, everything's great. Even the yellow oval is a lighter gray. Right. The belt is a gray. And he's, he, and he's, he's got this giant smile on his face and he's taken on thugs. And then he goes and lets Superman out and Superman's really bad with keeping secrets or you know, <laughs> easing somebody into an idea. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to blurt out that you're my grandson. <laughs> while I appreciate that Byrne brought Kyle Rayner into the series and that he tied him to Alan Scott instead of to the Green Lantern Corps, that costume is ridiculous. Yeah. Um, it just I, doesn't look good. Yeah, it's it's like, I, I get where the gloves and the boots came from. They're kind of Kyle-ish. Yes. But uh, he he turned Alan's purple cape into sleeves on a red shirt. And, oh, man, that just does not look good. And the swim trunks. Yeah. Uh, so, But, no, it's just, this is one of those things where a lot happens very conveniently, you know. But, at the same time, Luther said, I was going to switch bo- mo- bodies with you. So, you know, he, Superman has had ten years to kind of mull this over, essentially. Yeah. And, and think, well, if he had that, then he must have had something up his, you know, up something up his sleeve. And, you know, he gives powers to Nightwing, which is interesting. Hmm. Uh, I never really got, even in the second one, I never really developed too many feelings for this Nightwing, but I appreciate that he's there. And he's got, you know, 90s hair. Um, And, you know, we get that beautiful image of Superman flying off into space at the end. So it's it's not a happy, happy ending, but at least everyone's in a better place now. Right. This is almost the last page burn info dump of an issue. Yeah. <laughs> because it's, well, let me tell you what happened to Batman. Oh, let's get Superman back. Oh, and give him his powers. Oh, Nightwing, guess what? <laughs> it's it's just one thing after another. I It's not saying I don't like it. It's just, it seems like a lot of stuff happening all at once. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I love Bruce Wayne back in the Batsuit and just how he's so happy about it. Because, really, Batman, all through this series, no matter what Batman it was, they had a smile on their face at some point. Mm -hmm. Except after Kara died. At which point, Bruce Jr. just became morose and sullen and would not smile at all. Grimdark. I don't blame him. (laughs) Really. No, I'd be be a little upset after all those things happened to me. Yeah. But this, I love smiling Batman. I love the Batman that is, hey, you know, I don't have a contingency for this, but let's work it out. Which is probably why I don't read comics anymore. Current ones. (laughs) Well, shall we get on to uh, the future and the past? In the year 2919. (laughs) Yes, 2919, subtitled 1929. We open with a Bat Starship. Which is a very, very Trek design. 
if you look at the nacelles on it and everything. Mm-hmm. I, it's it's nice. It's like the Federation and the, the the Klingons got their ship designers together and say, hey, let's do something for Batman. And we're over a very barren, lifeless rock, you know, like the Genesis device would be used on. And Batman beams down, realizing that this is where the signal that he found is coming from. And he is lowered into, I can only call it the planet of solitude. Because it <laughs> yes. is enormous. It's a basically a hollow-out world, various levels, and a Superman, older Superman with long white hair, flies up to meet Batman. And they talk about, you know, okay, well, Batman is now aging one year for every century, and Superman is on a re- inverse geometric progression, which basically means the longer he lives, the slower he ages. So yes, he's older now, but he's not aging anywhere near as what he was when he was growing up. And they go through, and Superman offers Batman a drink, and then they start reminiscing about their first meeting. And this is what we would call a retcon. Because yes. their first meeting wasn't in 1939, it was in 1929, when Superboy came to Gotham City to so Clark Kent could uh, participate in something for the Gotham Gazette, owned by a young Bruce Wayne. Here he meets a young Lois Lane. And they go out and try and rustle up stories... And they see a giant robot breaking out of a warehouse. Well, Clark pushes Lois into a doorway and runs off to get help, changes into Superboy, and comes to get attack Lex Luthor, who is inside the robot. Superboy is hit with a burst of fire, and this is where Bruce Wayne sees what's going on and tells Alfred to bring it in. And Alfred comes in, like something that just came back from the dry cleaners in his hand, and Bruce changes into a familiar red, yellow, and green outfit and swings down. Also, with a smile on his face, he lands on top of the robot, calculating that the arms can't reach him there, and Luthor realizes, well, the jig is up, let me get out of here, and takes off on a flying motorcycle. The, The robot, however, is running amok, the controls have been fused, so Superboy has to turn back. He rips the arm holding Lois off, puts that down, and then takes the robot and flies it to the moon, leaving it on the dark side, or the side that does not face the Earth, because it does get sun regardless of what people say. And he comes back as a costumed hero who has no name as yet, but Lois calls him Robin Redbreast, frees her from the clutches, And this sounds pretty good to him, so he calls himself Robin from now on. They backtrack, find the crate where the robot was, and Lois, kind of taking the air out of the other two, says, oh, this shipping label says exactly where it came from. They get over to a lab of Dr. Irwin, and Robin is already there interviewing him. Turns out that Luthor applied to be an assistant. Irwin said, hey, you're nuts. You You can't do this, and Luthor stormed out. But Superboy, with a grin on his face, says, nah, I don't think this is actually the Doctor. And he rips off the mask and nose, the Groucho Marx glasses, because it has the nose and the mustache attached to them. And it's Luthor. Now, Luthor has a helicopter backpack on under this tweed jacket, <laughs> grabs Lois, and she had better not raise her head or it's going to get chopped off, and flies out with her. Superboy flies after him, but there's green kryptonite in Luthor's pocket, which was lead-lined, because Superboy couldn't actually 
tell until just now. Robin bends a piece of metal into a boomerang shape, whirls it over, and knocks the kryptonite out of Luthor's hand, covering it with lead pipe. That means Superboy can now go apprehend Lex, coming down in a very Kurt Swan-esque flying while walking pose, and they take Luthor away. The, the trio just talks over, oh, this is very interesting, what's going on? Lois says, well, I'm the one that needs a ride. He has a motorcycle, he can fly. But before she leaves, she plants a big wet one on Superboy. The Robin and the police officer in the background are grinning. Back in Smallville, Clark says, hey, there's more opportunities in Metropolis, because that's where Lois is going to be. While Pete Ross runs in and says, hey, Lana's got some magical mishap again. You gotta go get her. <laughs> and we see Lana Lang flying away as a sorceress. Back to the future, we have Batman and Superman still talking. Batman puts his mask back on, for whatever reason, and basically says, hey, you know, we're both bored. Why don't we go out and find the frontiers of the universe and solve whatever problems? And Superman says, that sounds like a great idea, but it's not just going to be two of us. And we see a young Lana Lang fly down behind Batman, because it turns out all those Superboy comic mishaps had a permanent effect now she's immortal just like them and the last page is superman with his hair in a ponytail lana and batman all arm in arm walking out and it says never the end well like i said it was a retcon but it was a fun retcon yeah and, and it plays into the various stories that popped up in the 50s and 60s of mm-hmm. you know the first you know batman and superman had had more first meetings than I think any other fictional character. <laughs> uh, two fictional characters. I like this because it calls back to the story of, of Bruce Wayne having the Robin costume, mm-hmm. uh, which happened in the Silver and Bronze Age. Uh, it, it's, it, it, it brings Superboy into it so that Byrne gets to play with that idea, uh, even though, again, it, in the in the beginning, you know, he wasn't Superboy because in the beginning he wasn't Superboy. Right. You know, he fights Luther. One of my favorite moments is they've caught him and Superman's kind of compassionate. He's like, man, I, every time I catch him, I think, wow, that's a, a great mind. It's just, you know, if only could he could, he could, uh, you know, you know, apply that to helping people. And, and Bruce is like, no, <laughs> no. Once they break the law, they get no sympathy from me. So one of my favorite artistic touches in this, this chapter is the fact that Clark is not wearing the red sweater with the white button down underneath. Right. He's wearing over, he's wearing basically Jonathan's outfit. And I like the fact that, you know, in this one, he's a farmer. So that's what mm-hmm. he would wear. Even though Pete Ross is there. And even though Lana, uh, who's underage, so I won't comment too much <laughs> further on that. Uh, you know, you know, and, and they're all there. It, you know, it's still kind of the earth Two Superman type idea where this right. is what he would be like when he was Superboy. I, uh, I thought it was really adorable that Lana showed up uh, at the very end of the story, mm-hmm. and he and she and uh, Superman were a couple again. Uh, I could joke that she stalked him for three hundred years, <laughs> uh, you know, but uh, you know, it, it, it's one of those things where you know, back when Superman and Wonder Woman hooked up in the New Fifty Two. Uh, you know, everyone's like, well, they don't belong together. And my, my feeling was, you know, and, and my wife actually brought this up too. She's like, you know, Superman and Lois belong together and 
Batman and Wonder Woman almost belong together. Mm. But the problem is, is that Bruce Wayne and Lois Lane are human. Right. So they would eventually die. So it always made sense to me that eventually Superman and Wonder Woman would end up together because just, you know, like in the Kingdom Come style, essentially. Mm -hmm. But I don't know if this is Byrne saying definitively, I think that it should be Superman and Lana, but it's a great way to get that done. Yeah, well, he was married to Lois already in the story, so he he had that. And Lana, I I mean, with the Byrne version of Lana... I've always I always liked that idea that they were sweethearts mm -hmm. and that she was willing to walk away. She went a little goofy for a little while after she realized he was Superman. And we don't talk about the Manhunter thing. The what thing now? The Manhunter thing, no, exactly. No, I, I don't think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, 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 I know. <laughs> but just the idea of it's it's and you know, this is going to be this is going to get Tom Panarese on my my case again but this is why i i think superman or clark and lana works well the same way that dick grayson and barbara gordon works well because <laughs> they had the same upbringing more or less they have the same experiences now i'm in real life i am completely opposite of that because i didn't meet my wife till college <laughs> but it i can i know people that have married their high school sweetheart mm -hmm. and it works really well so i can picture superman and lana like that yeah, I mean, he grew up, left Smallville, found Lois, you know, had kids with her. Yeah, but now, in the second part of his life, he's a widower. Lana. <laughs> widower than what? <laughs> Sorry. Ha. <laughs> and Lana apparently, well, they don't, he doesn't mention it, but I don't, I don't know if she married or was carrying a torch for Clark the whole time, but, you know, it, I like this. I like, I like the ending. I like the, the fact that you have all three of them walking towards the camera at the end with big smiles on their face. You know, they're, they're mm -hmm. especially Lana's line, you know, somewhere out there, the three of us can get into trouble. <laughs> and it, it's, it's how it should end. If you're going to have a, if you're going to have a story that reflects on certain time periods, then your ending is that it doesn't end for these characters, even right. in the year 2919. You know, things are different, Batman's got a big old spaceship, the Fortress of Solitude is a planet, Superman's got long, flowing white hair, uh, but at the same time, th they are never-ending battles. And no matter what the time period, there will, you know, and I'm sure this is something that won't happen, but, you know, we can say it now, there will always be a Superman and a Batman. Yes. And they will always be, you know, out there trying to get themselves into trouble. Hmm. And that's how you end it, and it's perfect. Yeah, it's it's really, really well done. And <clears throat> I don't know about Generations 3, because I, I haven't read that, but Generations 2 does not take that ending away. No, not at all. And it's great. I mean, you, you get another first meeting <laughs> between Clark Kent and Bruce Wayne in Generations 2, which is, brings us up to a total of three, but it, just in these two series. But mm -hmm. it's it it's nice how that is the end. That is the end of the, the story and the beginning of the next phase of their lives out in the galaxy, out in the universe, actually. And it's wonderful. I I love this series. I I want to say I dig it out. It isn't once a year, just because I, I don't have time. <laughs> but often, I don't read a lot of my old comics unless, you know, it's for a show or something. But this is one series that I will dig out occasionally and just read. 
just because I love it so much. And like we were talking before, before the show, sorry, listeners, I'm in the, the mindset now that I read by, in chronological order, Generations and Generations 2 by year. So I go mm-hmm. 39, 42, 49, you know, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it's, it holds up. I like it. Yeah, the, uh, back years ago, this had to be like 2000, uh, it had to be after Generations 2 came out, so it was probably 2002, maybe 2003-ish. I dug out both series and read them just like you said, in chronological order. And I recommend that if you've read both already to do that, because it gives you, I think, a fuller appreciation of the world Burn has created. Mm-hmm. Uh, but both stand well on their own. Uh, you know, I, I think Generations 2, you know, relies somewhat on Generations 1, but what sequel doesn't? I mean, right. you know, Lethal Weapon 2 relied on the fact that these guys are friends. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you had to have that to happen. But at the same time, I think they're stories that work well on their own. Generations 3 is complicated. I hated it when it came out because I figured out the ending about five issues in. Aha. Uh, of a 12-issue series. But I reread it a couple years ago, and I have a greater appreciation for what Byrne was trying to do. It does something that I won't say because you haven't read it yet. Right. It does something in the story that drives me nuts in these types of stories. But I think in terms of exploring the characters created in the Generations stories and taking them further, because it goes... It doesn't go into the past, it goes into the future. And we Mm. see how these characters evolve and how their offspring evolve and how people make decisions that, you know, you know, just don't work out for them at all. And there's a couple of O. Henry moments. Aha. And, uh, you know, in the background, you have young Lois Lane and young Lana Lang kind of going through time. So it's. It's it's a weird story. I, I'm kind of sad that it has never been collected uh, because I would like a trade of it. I'm of the opinion that they should put out a absolute of both of ge- at least generations one and two because uh, I think it would benefit from like the large hardcover format and do it in chronological order. Do the complete story. Yeah. Um, but you know, the first story is just it's just so much fun. Even the dark moments. You know, when balanced out with the series as a whole, it's such a fun way of exploring these two characters and their relationships. The covers, which we haven't mentioned up until this point, are really neat. You have, all of them have a similar, except for the last issue, have a similar vibe to them, where it's Superman on one side, Batman on the other. And we see how they evolve over the years. Mm-hmm. And we see the sadness in issue three of Superman. And then in the, the fourth issue, we get old man Superman uh, kind of ruining that. But even the hairstyles change. Right. And, and you have whatever, like on the first issue, Superman's over the 1939 half and Batman's over the 1949 half. And it's how they looked yes. in that year. So you have 39 Superman back to back with 49 Batman. And then you have 59 Batman back-to-back with 69 Superman. And then 79 Superman, who looks very sad, with 89 Batman. So it's it, it's it's a neat little, again, one of those subtle artistic tricks that, that Byrne uses throughout this entire series. And I think it's kind of sad that this, this storyline, you know, everybody I've ever talked to about Generations and Generations 2 have never had anything really bad to say about it. And I think that kind of speaks to the power of the story itself and the fact that 
if you're of the mind that you like heritage and you like legacy and you like to see how, you know, like, you know, someone asking, well, what if they just went from 1939, mm-hmm. you know, as, you know, it can't happen that way because, you know, one, too much time has passed and they just never did it like that. But here we get that. And it's an Elseworld story, so it stands on its own. So I think that's it's why, you know, I always kind of, you know, like I said before, like, God, I want to see more adventures of these characters. But in a way, I don't because that keeps this special. Right. You, you don't want to ruin it by overproducing like back to Kingdom Come. If Kingdom Come was just that, those issues, and nothing else, it would have been a lot better than if The Kingdom came out, and then the JSA tie-ins, and... You, and, you, and yeah, Thy Kingdom Come, and, and that whole yeah. thing where we, we just... But but we can't let things go. I mean, <laughs> we you know, comic creators can't. They can't take seminal stories and let them go. But, you know, here, you know, I'd almost want an animated movie out of this. Oh man, with in in this kind of style, you mm-hmm. know, like they did with New Frontier. Exactly. Oh, wow. So, but I really appreciate you asking me on to this episode because I love this series and I've been trying to figure out a way to talk about it. Uh, but you you asked me to do this and I'm like, well, that's perfect. Especially <laughs> since a, a certain movie is about to come out. Yes, so. I mean that's that's why I actually the other day I realized, oh wait. You know, there's there's a certain movie coming out, so maybe this should be the March episode and not the <laughs> April episode. So I, f- I flipped things around. So, uh, well, I know we've been talking for two and a half hours now. <laughs> How about uh, you let everyone know where they can find you out on the Internet if they want to hear more from you? Well, you can find me on back episodes of Comics Monthly Monday and Tales of the JSA. Uh, both shows are kind of on hiatus at the moment. Uh, though there are some rumblings about Comics Monthly Monday, uh, but nothing firm. Uh, but that's that's my two true freaks uh, involvement. Uh, mainly, I, I, I have two shows uh, that I do. Views from the Long Box, which you can find at viewsfromthelongbox.com, where I talk about whatever is in my head. It, this is coming out in March, so right now I'm also kind of doing a lead-up to Batman v Superman in a series I'm calling All BS and a Little WW Views on the Trinity. <laughs> um, which is uh, my shameless way of trying to uh, maybe get some new listeners because people are now interested in Superman and Batman again. Uh, and there's also From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, which I co-host with Jeffrey Taylor, which you can find at FortressofBailey2.com. And there we are going through the post-crisis era of Superman. We're in 1995 right now. We're about to get to the death of Clark Kent. So that's kind of exciting. And every Tuesday night at 1030 Eastern Standard Time, you can hear me live uh, over at the Superman homepage on Radio KAL Live, where Steve Eunice, who is the Grand Poobah over there, and I spend an hour talking about whatever is latest in the world of Superman, which lately has been a lot of Supergirl and Batman v Superman. Well, those are all great shows. I've listened to them all, except Radio KAL Live, just because I'm not going to be up that late. Sorry. <laughs> the great thing is, it's a podcast yep. after the fact. So. Yeah, because I don't have enough podcasts to listen to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no we were talking about that before we started recording. The problem is, is that, you know, those of us that were, like, podcasting back in, like, 2008, 2009... Like all of the people that have written into our shows are now podcasting, so mm-hmm. it's it's kind of it's it's great because we're all one big family, but it's just like there's so much out there now. <laughs> yeah, it's it, and I have to say it is 
amazing how much quality stuff is out there. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, I don't listen to half as many promos as I hear, but I hear the promos like, oh, I should listen to that. When? (laughs) And then I get roped into doing other stuff, too, just like you do. So it's, you know, you just don't have enough time in the day. But uh, thank you again for coming on. I really appreciate it. This is the third episode this year that I have podcasted with someone that I podcasted with before, but never one-on-one. <laughs> so I think I'm going to try and keep that streak going for the rest of the year, and we'll see what happens. Well, I appreciate you having me on. All right. Well, we'll see you next time, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Hammer Podcasts. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to send an email to gene at thehammerstrikes.com. If you like what you've heard, please visit the Patreon page, which is located at patreon.com slash thehammerstrikes, and consider becoming a sponsor of the show. Please be sure to check out The Hammer Strikes on Facebook, Google+, Twitter, and YouTube. The Hammer Podcast is a proud part of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network.